Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you and glad to see those worshiping with us online. You know, we have a lot of our snowbirds back in town. How many of you are snowbirds? Let me see your hands. Anybody here a snowbird? <clears throat> How many of you confess that? Yeah. And, and in the last service, we had a big delegation from Michigan, but they didn't all sit in the Michigan section. It really threw me off. But I'm glad that you're here wherever you're sitting today. I'm glad to have the local folks here too. How many of you are local people? Local people, yeah. Okay, and, and you like shrimp and grits? Well, I'm glad you're here as well. Now listen, I want to talk about how your faith gets started today, the beginning of your faith. Something happened, you had a starting point, right? You know, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church every Sunday. I went to vacation Bible school with my grandmother when I was 10, and then later on when I was 17, I rededicated my life to Christ. When I was 21, I went in the ministry. Everybody has a testimony. You've all got a story to tell, and you can talk about how your faith began. But if you don't have a story, if you don't have a testimony, if your faith is not something that you've experienced, you would know about Jesus, but you don't know him. Maybe today is a day as we walk through this series together, we'll begin today, and this will be a chance for you to really look at this and maybe understand it a little bit better. Everything has a starting point. Your romance had a starting point. Look at your spouse. Do you have a spouse? Do you, do you, if you don't have one, this could be your chance right now. <clears throat> you could get a spouse, right, maybe right here in church. <laughs> Y'all just leave and go out there and start talking and forget him. You know, who knows he needs that? Your career, your marriage, all your parenting, everything has a starting point. And you don't always think about it, but your faith can have a starting point too. For most of us, faith had a starting point when we were children. And either from a parent or a priest or a pastor, we learned about faith. And it's a starting point that had something to do with maybe going to church or to church camp or to vacation Bible school. But back in your childhood, you got some building blocks that would begin to build your faith and help you grow. But then for many of us, the starting point was a foundation as a child. And we learned that God is good. Do you remember the prayer we used to pray? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food, right? We learned that. And we said it. And we said, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people. All those things you learn as kids, right? Well, then tradition, you grew up after that, and you knew that God was good and that you know good things happened to good people and bad things happened to bad people, but sometimes it wasn't always that clear. And maybe you learned that God speaks, and, and you read the story or heard the story told to you about Samuel being in bed one night, and he was living with a prophet, an old man named Eli, and he heard his name being called, and he got up and he went in there and he asked him what he wanted. He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And it happened two or three times, and finally, he said, the next time you hear someone call your voice, say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And so that's what he did. And he learned that God was speaking to him, that he was calling him by name. And maybe that's where you learned that story as well. And that happens sometimes that we see the Bible stories. It makes a difference for us. But then when we get older and we're not children anymore, we, our, our faith might take a hit as adults because what we learned as children, we go through the rigors and the pressures of adult life, and then some of our faith begins to fall apart sometimes. The foundation that we thought was so firm doesn't support the challenges 
of adulthood. And it's hard to reconcile when bad things happen to good people and vice versa. And so then you begin to wonder, God, I, I thought you were in my life and, and I thought you were going to give me a reward. And, and I prayed, but my marriage didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And, and you didn't answer my prayer. Or, or maybe you say, you know, my mother's one of the best people in the world. And I know she prayed and my brother died anyway. And so, God, I'm having a hard time with that. And our, adult, our childhood faith started out fresh and real and passionate, but then the rigors and pressures of adult life have chipped away at it. Maybe you're listening, and today you're here and you're thinking, yeah, that's me, and, and you're hoping that you'll hear something today that will reignite your faith and restore your faith and help you grow. Karen Armstrong is an author, and in The Case for God, she says this, Many of us were left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time that we were told about Santa Claus. And while our understanding of Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and, and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. In other words, we grew up and we learned things in different areas and we knew what we were doing in a lot of places, but maybe our spiritual lives didn't grow up with us. And somehow everything else matured around us, but our view of God didn't mature. And the Bible stories we heard, somehow now we have some irreconcilable differences as adults. So as adults, maybe you need a starting point for your faith. In this series, for many of us, we're going to hit the restart button and ask this question. If you didn't know anything about faith, if you had never read the Bible, if you had never been to church, how would you start? Where would you start? What would you do? We're going to approach this differently than we did when we were kids because we're grown up now. And so if you are an adult, then I want you to look at it that way. The New Testament wasn't put together for about 350 years after the time of Jesus. So the Bible didn't exist at that time as we know it. It was not available. And the question was, well, what was their starting point? If they didn't have the Bible, how did they become Christians? How did they follow God? And today I want to answer that question. And we're going to listen to a conversation between the Apostle Paul and a group of people who knew nothing about Jesus. And this took place about 20 years after the events of Jesus's life. And we're going to read a portion of scripture from the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was a man who knew about Jesus through other people who actually knew Jesus. Paul didn't pick up the Bible and read it. He didn't have it at that time. But he was talking to people who were real witnesses, who knew Jesus, who spent time with him, who spoke to him, who saw him die and be resurrected. In fact, the writings of the apostle Paul predate the writings of the gospels. Did you know that? And it was written around 53 or 54 AD. So Paul did not learn about Jesus from the Bible. He learned about Jesus from Jesus's friends, from the people who knew him. And one afternoon, Paul found himself in Athens, Greece, and he sees something that's disturbing. And he begins a conversation that he records in a travel journal. And this eventually becomes part of the New Testament. My goal for you today is to listen to someone 
who knew the people who knew Jesus and had the message presented of Christianity as an adult that maybe you've never heard before. Because in this conversation, we're going to find the starting point for Christianity. Now, I want us to look at Acts, the 17th chapter, and it starts off by saying, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. This is the same Athens, Greece you can visit today. And in verse 17, he continues, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both, Jew, both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So Paul's walking around, he's engaging people. Have you seen the commercial where the guy's in the grocery store and he stops with the manager and he says, hey, Brian and produce really did a good job. You know, and this other guy's leading him around and it's all about, we're trying to help you not become your parents, okay? Because if I've got my kids with me and I go to Publix, I'm gonna talk to everybody and they're going, you don't have to do that. You can just buy groceries here. You don't have to spend time with, they don't really care. They don't wanna see pictures of your granddaughter. Let's move it on out, okay? But, but, you know, they had engaging conversations because they were talking about religion, and Paul was talking to a bunch of philosophers. Boy, you talk about a place that you could go to talk to people, and it says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And, and they've never heard any of this before. It's all new to them. It's brand new. And they're starting from the beginning. And it says, others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now, this is a big deal because if you're going to introduce a new god in Athens, and believe me, they had tons of gods. They had gods everywhere, all kinds of gods, okay? If you're going to introduce a new god, you're supposed to have permission. You can't just go out there willy-nilly telling people about God, okay? You got to have some of the higher authorities give you permission. And they said this, it says in Scripture, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He's saying, I don't care about all your rules. I don't care about what you think. I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, and, and I don't have to have permission to do that. Now, again, everything Paul knew about Jesus came from the people who were around Jesus. Nobody read anything because there wasn't anything to read at that point. And then it goes on, it says this, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. In other words, we've never heard anything like this before. And so it goes on, it says, so Paul stood up in the meeting of Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious for I have walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship. I even found an altar and this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship and this is what I'm gonna to proclaim to you. Now, this is interesting to me. He's walking around and he sees this idol, this thing they built, and it's got an inscription. And guess who it's to? It's to an unknown God. Okay, well, how do you know it's a God? And so here's what they're saying. They actually built an altar to an unknown God. And, and, and so you ask them, they said, we don't know. But 
If that God ever shows up, then we can say, we've been expecting you. We built this just for you. We just didn't know what name to put on it. So we're so glad that you're here to help us. Now you laugh at that, but there's people doing that today. There's people who go to church every Christmas and every Easter just in case that, that Bible stuff and that God stuff is real, right? That's right. It is right, okay? And so Paul says, you're very religious. You want to know what's out there. In other words, there is this desire that's built into everybody that wants to know God. God created us, and he, built, he put inside of us this heart, this desire to know him. So he says, you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. You don't know what you're doing. You, you don't know who you're worshiping. He didn't mean they were dumb, ignorant, okay, because they were philosophers. They were intelligent people. What he meant was you're just guessing. You're not certain about God. You don't know him. So then Paul says, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And Paul is saying that I'm going to make known to them something that they do not know. And then he begins, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. In other words, he's saying he's bigger than everything you can imagine. You can't build a temple big enough to put him in because he's so much bigger than that. He created everything. He made everything. And the good news is you can discover God. You can know him. And, you know, you try to bribe your gods all the time. We're going to try to keep them happy so they'll bless us. He said, you don't do that with God. There's nothing that you have that you can give to God. It's not like that you have to do some kind of deal with God to get him to bless you and come into your life. He's a creator. He created you, and he wants to know you and love you and have a relationship, and they're listening to him. So Paul keeps talking, right? And here's what he said. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He's a sovereign God. He's the God of history of every nation and every group. He's the God who created everything. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far Away. Now, what he's saying is, is I want you to know that, that he's there. He's right here beside us. He's with us. He's right here as close as your breath. He knows all about you. And you can ask questions. And some of you are stumbling and groping in the darkness trying to find God. And I want you to know he's interested in having a relationship with you and you finding him. And then he does something really cool. He quotes from their own philosophers and he kind of uses their culture to connect with them. And he says, you haven't missed this completely. Even your poets have talked about it a little bit. In other words, you're kind of catching on about God. You're kind of trying to understand God. You're mentioning things. And I just want to help turn the light on and bring this home to you. And then he says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And then he, he says, he's touched some of you, but he wants to touch you even more. And it says, therefore, since we are God's offering, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. 
God understood that people were blinded. God did something, not just for the people of Israel, not just for the people of Athens, but for the people of the world. Amen? Look at the person next to you and say, God did something for you. Tell them that right now. He did. And it says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And when we hear the word repent, we think about sin, and that's appropriate. We should, but it's not just that. Because what he's trying to say to them is, I want you to try to rethink your understanding of God because there's not a lot of gods. There's one true God. And I'm going to try to help you to just kind of put your culture aside for a minute. And I'm going to try to help you to understand the real truth about the one true God and what he has done. And then it goes on and says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He's saying there's one guy who's so powerful, so wise, so insightful, so godly, so divine, that he has the ability to rule and judge the world justly. And he says, and he's given this proof to everyone. And, and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't have proof. We're talking about religion. You're talking about evidence, right? He says, no, I'm talking about proof. He said, well, what do you mean by that? The people said, what has God done so that we can know him with certainty? And Paul says, he has given us proof by raising this man from the dead. And that's when they all sat back and said, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. Raising somebody from the dead, are you sure? He says, I didn't read about this. In fact, he says, I persecuted Christian people. I, I killed people. I, I didn't believe, I was trying to stamp out this cult because that's what I thought it was. And then I talked to eyewitnesses who knew Jesus and I had an experience of my own and I came to know what it means to have a relationship with God. And, and he raised this man from the dead to save the whole world. And it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered because when people die, they usually stay what? Dead. I'm so glad you knew that answer. You know, you're so much smarter than that first group. When I preached this morning to the nine o'clock crowd, I said, when people die, they usually stay. And they were like, and I was like, okay, you're going to have to drink more coffee before you come in here. If you don't know that one, we're going to have to back the truck up and go back to some things that are simpler. And the people are thinking that there's proof, there's proof that somebody was raised from the dead. And it says, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. In other words, tell me more about that. I want to know more about that. That's amazing. A few people said, okay, if I got to believe that somebody was resurrected from the dead, I've never seen that happen before. I thank you for dropping by. <laughs> Gosh, time is getting away. I got to go, right? Because I don't really believe what you're talking about. This guy's lost it. He's gone off the deep end. But some of the people said, you mean you're telling me that you knew some people who actually witnessed the resurrection? And Paul said, yeah. And for the first few years, I didn't believe it and I persecuted. But, you know, I became a Christian too. And he said, I want you to understand that it can be something that can happen to you. So the starting point for the Christian faith was not the Bible, okay? The question, the foundation to restart your faith today if you're starting over as an adult is, who is 
Jesus? That's the, that's the question we're going to have to try to answer in this series. Because if you can know who Jesus is, and if you can know Jesus, it makes all the difference. And then the scripture just supports and helps that. Because there's Old Testament scripture that prophesies about what's going to happen, and then it comes to pass in the New Testament. And it's written many, many, many years later. But the prophets knew what God was going to do. He told them what to say. And they did it, and it came to pass. And if you have a hard time believing it, that God can prove it because we're skeptical. He raised somebody from the dead because he is our Savior and our Lord, and he makes all the difference in this life and the next and where we spend eternity. And so I want you to know that for real. I want that to be a true experience for you. You know, somebody told me, and now I get to tell you, when God called me into the ministry, you know, it was an opportunity for me to spend the rest of my life telling people my story, my testimony, and pointing to God. I don't, it, it didn't just happen to me so that I'd be okay. Okay, Joe saved. He's going to heaven. Good enough for that. Let's move on. Next thing, right? No, it's not about, you don't have to be in the ministry. You're all ministers. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a minister. Go ahead and tell them that. How many of them believed you? Yeah, you are. You are a minister. You know, some of us are pastors, but many, all people, you're called to be ministers. And you, you get to touch people I'll never get to touch. You get to talk to people that I'll never reach. You have connections with people that I don't know. And so it's an opportunity, a divine appointment every week where God brings you in a position where you can talk to people. When you share your testimony with them, it's powerful. And they listen. And, you know, they may not respond right then. I had some friends who didn't. But later on, after high school, after I witnessed to them in college, they came back to me and they said, what you talked about in high school? I wanted you to know I did that. And I wanted you to know about it because you told me about it. And, you know, that happens. And so you might be a, a part. You might get a front row seat. You might get to watch God work in somebody's life in an eternal way. What else are you going to do this week that's eternal, that's that important, right? And so... It's a privilege for you and me to be a part of this world, to be here. A lot of the snowbirds who came up to me this morning at the first service, they said, okay, we were here two years ago and you and your wife had been sick and then we, we didn't get to come last year because of COVID and now we're back and we're so glad that you're okay and we're glad to see you. And, and Laura celebrated five years cancer-free just recently, just this last week. And thank God for that. Praise God for that, right? And, you know, I explained to him about how I took this medicine the doctor gave me, and it caused all kinds of complications, and how it was by the grace of God and the prayers of so many people that I'm here today, and I'm grateful to be here today. And Jimmy Kent is somebody we've been praying for. We got a good report on him last night. Michelle's sitting up here on the front row, and they've gotten back from Alaska. And praise God from whom all blessings flow about that. We'll have to hear more about Jimmy Kent's story. I just was celebrating reading that last night at home when I got an email about it. You know, God is so good. And he, he's, he's very much alive. And he's very real. And he's very involved in our lives. And he wants to be involved in helping us reach other people for him. So we're going to start, we're going to restart by saying, what am I going to do with Jesus? How am I going to respond to Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, open our eyes. We've groped through the darkness trying to find our way, but you're not far off at all. You're as close as our breath. And so we pray that we would find you because we want to know you. And we pray that you would help us to walk with you daily so that we might be your witnesses in the world today. And we thank you. And all God's people said, amen.